Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who Would Win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. Waking up in an unfamiliar location, Ripley quickly rises to her feet. She's not unaccustomed to finding herself in new situations and having to adapt quickly, so she heads to a doorway and exits the room. Nearby, Sarah Connor finds herself waking up in similar situation. She pounces up out of bed, does a self-inventory, and hurries to the only escape she can see. Both powerful women exit their rooms at the same time, and without any knowledge, immediately see the opposite as a threat. As both take combat stances, one can only hear the echoes of countless arguments throughout history of which one will come out on top. It's Fighter from the Future versus Fighter of the Future. It's Resurrection versus Dark Fate. It's Ripley versus Sarah Connor today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comics, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Stacanus. Showdown September continues with our second matchup, which is sure to not disappoint. In today's episode, we have another battle that pits two iconic characters of film against each other in what is sure to go down as a who-would-win classic. In one corner, you have Sarah Connor, the Terminator's target, ally, and even Hunter on some occasions, versus Ripley, the hero from the Alien franchise who made us realize that when confronting a murderous alien horde that sometimes it's just better to nuke the site from orbit. And as usual for Showdown September, there's absolutely no need to do the patented Who Would Win Google test to see how often this matchup has been discussed, because I've even actually debated this very battle online years ago. I know it's a thing. We gotta get to it, and we gotta give it the Who Would Win show treatment. Ray, I'm dying to know, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? This is an obvious Showdown September matchup. Look, this is the fourth year that we've been doing it, and we've got all the classic battles that have been discussed, you know, ad infinitum uh, in, in geek culture forever and ever and ever. So this year, we're kind of bringing home the last of the biggest battles that we could think of, ones that we could have done in other seasons, but for whatever reason, we pushed back. We're getting them all done now. Last week, we did Namor versus Aquaman, another very, very hugely hotly contested one. This week, we've got the two... Uh, most badass women of sci-fi movies of the 1980s, quite honestly, Ripley versus Sarah Connor. Again, this has been discussed so much and so much passion on both sides, and I'm excited to finally get a decision today. You know, Ray, okay, how do I put this nicely? You know, we've got so much momentum going, and the fans love what we're doing. We love the fans for loving what we're doing, and they reach out all the time. I know, running joke, Ray doesn't like people reaching out to him, but they do, uh, and tons of people reach out to me, and something has been hitting me, the same sentiment, the same question's been hitting me over and over for the past probably three weeks, more than ever before. So, Ray, here's the deal. I've had people say, why do you allow race to Canis? As if I allow you to do anything, but why do I allow race to Canis 
to accuse me of exaggeration, of misrepresenting characters, of all that kind of crazy stuff. When in fact, our listeners, our fan base, know that Race to Canis, at the very least, does just the same, but quite honestly, does a whole lot more. Do we need an online, in the episode, fact checker to keep us both in line? Before I say anything, Ray, what are your thoughts on that? First off, you know, the, what stops you from uh, uh, saying anything to me is your own guilty conscience, obviously. You know the things that you do. You know you bring up deleted scenes in movies that never saw the light of day. You know you bring up situations with characters that never happened. You know that you bring up powers and abilities of objects, like saying the Green Lantern ring is magical when it is not in order to win a debate. Look, you're the one bringing the underhanded tactics, and perhaps it's your own guilty conscience that refuses it. Do we need a fact checker? The answer is no. We do not need a fact checker. We just need James <laughs> to tell the truth. If we can just get there, then we will have no need for a fact checker. I mean, we're just so on the same page as usual, Ray. I remember uh, you saying in the last episode that Neymar held his own against Thanos when, in fact, Thanos hit him once, knocked uh, Neymar out very easily with one shot. He said Aquaman can't control sharks. Clearly he can. Oh, my favorite one, just to remind you, Goku versus Superman. You said Goku would win by using his telepathy to figure out Superman's weakness to Krypton. All this kind of fun stuff that Race to Canis has had. Here's what I think. I think we do need a fact checker. I think we need someone here to just kind of keep us in line. And I'm open to it, Race to Canis. I don't know if you are. With that being said, Legion of Audience, if you like that idea, let us know. Maybe we'll do something. Maybe we won't. But I'd like to hear what your opinion is. Do we need a fact checker? Do we need someone else to keep us in line in the show so that we, and myself included, we don't go too far in one direction or another? Who knows? But here's the deal. Where whatever we do, Never forget, we're going to do the show in style, as always. Now, speaking of style, it's time to introduce our guest judge. Making another appearance on The Hoodwin Show is the host of the super popular game show, Idiot Test, voice actor, comedian extraordinaire, host of Last Week on Earth podcast, and star of The Mad King, an awesome new comedy special now available on YouTube, is the one and the only. It's Ben Glee. Ben, welcome back to Who Would Win. Thank you, James. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. We warmed up with the Patreon-only thing, and it was confusing for me, and I've got that out of my systems now. It's going to be straight and arrow focused on pure judgment. I wouldn't say judgment day. That would seem as though I'm skewing my preferences early. It's not. A little bit. It's not. And I'm not even going to hold against you, James, the fact that, that Ray's virtual background here has Sarah Connor on both sides of his head, well-designed, so he's not blocking her. And on uh. yours, you're entirely blocking Sigourney Weaver because you only have one Sigourney Weaver behind you. That will Listen, not affect my decision. Powerful. Who wouldn't feel powerful to have someone behind them supporting them, a superhero no. like Ripley? I don't need people on either side of me. I need someone supporting me. If I could be serious about this for a second, Ben, go ahead and let it affect your judgment. Okay. <laughs> sure. No problem. Fair enough. All right, so so Ben, let's focus on the important stuff. This is huge news, a new comedy special on YouTube. You are insanely funny, like insanely funny. Uh, to our fan base, our legion of audience, check out everything. I mean everything that Ben Glebe does. He is awesome, hilarious. Check out his pin post on Twitter. Just kind of see what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> ben, without giving away too much, what can you tell us about your new comedy special? Uh, it's from Helium Comedy Studios. They're a brand new studio making a lot of great specials and – uh, it's on their YouTube page, and so they're getting all the followers from it, which is fine because I'm happy for them to benefit because they gave me this great opportunity. This is the next level thing that I've done in my life. I think it's the best thing I've ever done in my comedy career. Um, you know, I was very proud of my first special. I'm proud of a lot of the things that I get a chance to do, but this thing, 
uh, is, I think, the culmination of what I've been able to do so far, of my skills so far. I think it'll make you think. It'll definitely make you laugh hard out loud for the full hour and seven minutes. Um, you know, not the entire. They're going to laugh for an hour and seven, but you will laugh throughout the full hour and seven a lot more than most comedy specials make you laugh. And if you like it, I just hope people share it and leave comments and all that because um, we're trying to, you know, as you guys may know, sometimes if it's not the most base things in the world, if it's not the most uh, explicit content in the world, sometimes it gets buried <laughs> by the algorithm. People don't want to think or things that require a little bit of a brain. This podcast requires you to have a brain that functions. So does my special. And so I'm hoping that the, that the chances that I get to reach a smart audience like yours that actually appreciates intelligent things will rally behind it and check it out and spread the word because uh, we need to combat these these algorithms that only want uh, you know a lot of a lot of a lot of BS to be the Lord of the day you know I'm in no disagreement with everything you're saying by the way um, we, we do have a great audience for this they're they're smart intelligent sophisticated I think the perfect target audience for what you do and uh, I've heard this a million times about the YouTube algorithm burying stuff that shouldn't be buried and even promoting stuff that really has no business being promoted but you know what can you do but something you said really intrigues me uh, Ben you you said because here's the deal game show host for many years executive producer of that show idiot test as well which was awesome podcaster fit you know very successful comedian yet you said this is possibly the best thing you've ever done why yeah, I think is possibly. that that really intrigues me i think it is for sure the best thing what? i've ever done um it's just you know stand up is my heart it's the thing that's the most pure thing that i've ever that you can do as an entertainer as a comedian for sure i've always wanted to do it it's the thing that's most direct connection with you and your audience you write it you perform it there's no editors there's no there's no, I mean, there are editors of a special, but there's nobody that can decide above me what words go out there to the masses. There's not, it's it's my vision exactly delivered out to the world. And this is just the, like, you know, I, I was probably still finding my voice to a degree and my sea legs under me with my first special. And then in the six years since, I've just been developing this next level of stuff. And as the world's gone through a very crazy series of developments and gone to a place where who knows what's up and what's down anymore um i think we need as much laughter as we can and if it can help you make sense of it while laughing i think my special can help do that and i've just been getting the best reviews i've ever had in my career from it so from somewhat of an, an objective standpoint i mean it's very strange for me to say it about myself but like i just did the great nikki glazer's podcast she said this was uh bill burr level george carlin level special that made her want to buckle down and focus on her own writing wow. and then i just was brought to tears literally last night when i uh was shown a tweet on the official george carlin twitter run by his only his only offspring his only heir his daughter kelly carlin yeah. who said that uh, people should watch the mad king because my approach reminds her of her dad's approach to comedy and wow that blew my mind and it just made me feel all the more validated for what I'm trying to one day aspire to become anywhere near is you know a shred of the comedian that George Carlin is you know because uh, his comedy ain't ever going anywhere so I recommend people watch Carlin's comedy first but then if you have some extra time in your life check out the Mad King on YouTube <laughs> That's fantastic. No, the best the best kind of compliment you can get from somebody is saying that you've inspired them to be greater in themselves. And and I someday hope to inspire someone somewhere. <laughs> Could happen. It'll happen. It'll it happen could. for you. 
So, so Ben, here, here's the deal. Uh, I remember for the last episode, you did a great job there as well. You take your comedy very, very seriously, and that really came through. And what also came through is you took this, you know, the the, the role of judge for who would win really seriously as well, which I loved. I mean, that's that's some that, that that really comes through. And I'm not surprised you're saying this about your comedy special because of how hard I know this firsthand. How hard you work towards your craft, how hard you work to kind of keep moving forward. And uh, I just want to say it's very much uh, noticed, appreciated, valued, and respected. And we are super thrilled to be honored with your presence back on the show. By the way, that's not me trying to blow smoke and say, like, hey, give me the win. I'm being very, very serious. We're super happy you're on the show. Thank you, sir. You are awesome. My pleasure. That is I'll very that. that is very kind of you. And I consider points even again for the virtual background debacle of 2022. <laughs> and it worked. I mean, that's fantastic. All right. So with all of that said, Legion of Audience, check out Ben Glebe's uh, new YouTube special, The Mad King. It's fantastic, awesome. Just do it. We'll be talking a lot about more about it during the episode. But with all that being said, it's about that time. Ray, please do us the honors and announce today's matchup. Representing the Aliens franchise, the warrant officer who might have lost her crew, but she still managed to save the cat, Ellen Ripley. And representing the Terminator franchise, the waitress-turned-resistance fighter who destroys killer robot after killer robot, but don't let her near your swing set, Sarah Connor. <laughs> well done, right Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a Hoodwin match, which are brought to you by Ethos Life Insurance, one of our great sponsors. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the Who Would Win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Ray, are you using anything but the movie version of Sarah Connor in this battle? I am using everything but the movie ver- No, I'm using the movie version of Sarah Connor, of course. That's what we're doing here. It's Showdown September. Actually, I will be using the DC Comics mainstream version. of. I'm kidding. I am going also with the movie version, not the video games, not the novels, not the comic books, the movie versions of Ripley from the Alien franchise. Rule number four, debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but will be given less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides has the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to visit the official Hoodwin store to get your very own Hoodwin merchandise and accessories. Go to hoodwinstore.com to get your hands on some Hoodwin merch right now during the episode. Picture yourself ordering a shirt, a mug, or what have you while enjoying the show. There's just nothing better in life. We have a new sponsor for Who Would Win, and I think y'all might enjoy this one. It is Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile game that taps into everything we all love about Marvel Comics. You get to pick a squad of your favorite Marvel heroes you know, and villains, let's keep it real, and team them up to fight big bads like Doctor Doom and, of course, save the universe. Your goal in Marvel Strike Force is to power up your characters and compete PvP against other players in multiple different modes. And you know I'm not telling you all about this empty-handed, because if you're a new user and sign up with our promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, you're going to get hooked up with all kinds of free stuff to get you started the right way. Let's face facts. You love Marvel, you love gaming, and you got a phone. 
So take a sec and check out Marvel Strike Force using the link in the description of this episode, ideally, and use our promo code MAXPOOL and get the whole Who Would Win show hookup. Thanks again to Marvel Strike Force and thanks to me for this great read. Good job, me. And now, let's get to the tale of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Sarah Connor. Sarah Connor is the original and main protagonist of the Terminator franchise. Sarah was created by James Cameron and first appeared in The Terminator in 1984 and was originally portrayed by Linda Hamilton. Beginning her journey as someone to be saved, Sarah Connor did a lot of growing in the years that followed. Robot overlords from the future identified her son John as the leader of the resistance against them. So they sent a killing machine back in time to end her life before John could be born. Sarah fought back with her future allies against a host of threats and always survived to see another battle. Fun fact. Did you know that the Terminator series is a deep and long-running adjacency to Game of Thrones? It's all true. You see, actress Amelia Clark played Daenerys Targaryen on Game of Thrones and also portrayed Sarah Connor in Terminator Genesis, but not just that. There was a TV show called Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, which served as an alternate future after Terminator 2. In that show, Sarah was played by Lena Headey, a.k.a. Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. And not just that, on a previous Who Would Win show episode, the T-800 fought... The Mountain from Game of Thrones. The hits just keep on coming is what I'm trying to say. And that is Sarah Connor. Very cool. Here are the details for Ripley. The character of Ripley first appeared in the iconic film Alien back in 1979 and was created by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Chusette. Ellen Ripley was chief warrant advisor to the freighter ship Nostromo during an unexpected xenomorph attack. As the sole survivor of the massacre, she jettisoned herself into space on the ship's escape shuttle, plugging herself into a decades-long hypersleep. Before she could make it back to Earth, however, she would be conscripted to a xenomorph-infested colony to advise a group of colonial marines under the pretense that they were exterminating the creatures. During this mission, she would eventually take up arms against the murderous aliens and even kill a xenomorph queen. Unfortunately, during her, during her final hypersleep, Ripley would become infected by a facehugger xenomorph. She would sacrifice herself on the prison planet Fioriana 161 to prevent the specimen inside of her to be collected by corporate scientists. And here's an interesting fact about Ripley. Did you know that the originally iconic role was actually written for a guy? It's true. According to early Alien Story drafts, Ripley was written as a male character, but not on purpose. In fact, when the time came to cast Sigourney Weaver in the role, few thought twice about it, given the character's incredible appeal to all audiences and, of course, the amazing ability of Sigourney Weaver. In truth, Ripley could have been played by a man or a woman without losing anything, but Sigourney Weaver's dazzling performance made Ripley an icon. The character of Ripley is still adored and respected by both male and female fans today and, in my opinion at least, holds the standard for action heroes with her down-to-earth attitude charisma and overall kickassery yeah that's a word and now you have the facts of both opponents ben do you have any questions before we get started i mean a lot of interesting facts here a lot of fun facts emphasis on fun because is the question at hand not who would win in a battle eventually that's correct yeah so i don't know that i care too much that sigourney weaver was dazzling i don't know that i care too much that people from game of thrones (laughs) played sarah connor in a show that's not affecting the debate here tonight one way or the other i feel like you guys are just trying to really uh talk my brain around here and try to get me spun spun on your side with maybe other 
things that I have allegiance to that are not going to influence me. I'm taking this seriously. I want to hear about who would win in a battle. Brains, brawn, weaponry, etc. Wow. That's, like I said, you take this seriously. Okay. Um, Good. All right, Finally, Ray. a judge that does. <laughs> Ray, all right. Let's get this battle going. Hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Sarah Connor. We're going to talk about her transformation from helpless damsel in distress all the way to military-grade badass. First off, in Terminator 2, Linda Hamilton, she trained three hours a day, six days a week for four months straight with an ex-Israeli commando named Uzi Gal. That's a name, apparently. Well, that means that all that intense training, if you know anything about the, uh, the Israeli commandos, you know, these are some of the greatest, powerful soldiers, best trained on the entire planet. That's just what they're known for. Well, they trained her to be in that movie, which means that the character would effectively have had similar training to have been in that movie. Now, she has in the movie 1% body fat, which means that she is ridiculously cut, strong, powerful, with a great core strength underneath her. Whereas I just don't know that Ripley has that same physicality about her in any of the Aliens movies that Sarah Connor, especially in T2, presents. Now, one of the things we learned about her as she kind of goes from, you know, again, waitress all the way to resistance fighter is that she established martial arts training. She is trained in a whole lot of different like kicks, throws, spins. We've seen her in that hospital scene when she's just wrecking absolutely everybody around her, even people who are considerably larger than her. She's able to just take them out one after another after another. And she's able to do so. Why? Because she has intense martial arts training. I don't know that Ripley has that same level of training. Maybe James could illuminate us on that. Another thing is she's a great shot. We've seen uh, her all kinds of places with handguns, uh, machine guns, rocket launchers, whatever she wants to use. Well, she hits her target a high percentage of the time with those weapons, and she's proficient in several different kinds of weapons. She's not just using the hands, the ones off the rack that they have on the aliens. What is it? Uh, um monstro ship monstroso whatever that thing stromboli what's that ship called anyway my point i'm trying to make here is that if there's a weapon around sarah connor's gonna have learned how to use it and she learned how to make bombs from reese at one point and let's not forget in the first movie she's the one who actually killed the terminator you know killing an alien queen that's a big deal you know but an alien queen can feel pain an alien queen can feel like survival instincts. A Terminator is sent from the future is a big hauling robot who's come specifically just to kill you. <laughs> and if you could take one of those things out, the alien just wants to survive and propagate its species. The Terminator wants to kill you. And that is a big difference between the two. She had to learn from the future everything that she possibly needed in order to kill the Terminators and train John Connor to kill Terminators in the future. So in other words, she had to learn everything about military tactics, strategy, combat, weapons, so she could train John. And she trained him to do a lot of things, martial arts, weapons training, how to rob ATMs for gosh sakes. That's an important skill, I would think. And she's not afraid to absolutely take it to somebody if they need to. When she wanted to escape from that mental hospital, let's not forget when she knocked down that guard with a mop handle and one of the most brutal things ever done with a mop on film, I will commit to. After that, she beat up a whole bunch of other well-trained guards. Let's face facts. She takes out groups of people at the same time. She kills Terminators, and she'd take out Ripley, too, and that's my point number one. Okay, I got to push back on a, a little bit of this. I mean, and I hate doing it because Sarah Connor is just this awesome, awesome, iconic character as well. Let me kind of start off. 1% body fat, that's insanely amazing. You know what happens to a human body when you have a 1% body fat? 
bad things. Your body doesn't actually function the same way. You can't endure the same amount of punishment because organs, all that kind of stuff, muscle, this just don't have that normal amount of fat to protect it. As an MMA guy, trust me, the lower your body fat is not necessarily a good thing. Secondly, Ray, it's, the ship's called Nostromo, by the way. Nostromo. That's it. Not a food item. Uh, number three, uh, Sarah Connor didn't kill the Terminator by herself. She had a lot of uh, help with Kyle Reese, who did a lot of damage to the Terminator first. I think blew off his lower torso, did a lot of damage to it. And finally, as it's crawling with one arm functioning, she did, was cool enough to catch into a press that kind of crushed it. Totally cool, but not by herself. Uh, she taught John how to survive. A little bit of funny, but more like how to survive. She's the ultimate survivalist. I'd give her that fighter. I'm not so sure. And finally... Who hasn't beat someone up with a broom handle, right? That's called like grade three, at least back in Canada anyway. So that's great how she did it. She did it with a lot of style. Ben, clearly you and I have done this quite a few times. It's not that impressive. All right, let me get to my point number one. And this is going to kind of separate the two characters. Let's talk about Ripley the person. See, lots of people think of Ripley and see, you know, what she can do, what she's done, what she's become throughout the Alien film franchise. But I'm here today. To talk about the starting point of Ripley, the building blocks of her character, if you will. See, she didn't just become a kick-ass hero warrior, you know, destroying murderous aliens from out of nowhere. No, 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 no. She was actually quite the gifted individual in the areas of leadership, command, overall intelligence, and combat ability. In a weird way, the aliens may not have had, ever really had a chance going up against Ripley. So the Amazon of Ripley's time in the future is this company called Wayland yutani And they had an official dossier on Ripley, which revealed she wasn't just an excellent fight, um, a flight officer because she was a pilot. She was also a gifted student. She received a master's degree in engineering from New York Aeronautics University, which means she knows how to improvise with machine guns and all that kind of stuff. She just knows how to do that. We saw that a whole bunch in the movies. She attended private schools growing up. Privileged a little bit, but she kind of applied it. She served on the Youngblood Hawk uh Another ship called the Plachette, co-pilot on the U.S. merchant marine vessel Zelanzi, and then she was climbing the ranks all the time. This is someone who's highly, highly accomplished in the military doctrine of doing things in the, like, what was it, at least 50, 100 years in the future. So that same company, Whalen yutani did a psych evaluation and a whole bunch of tests on Ripley, and that all came to the conclusion that she had the potential to be the absolute best of the best officer in service or at least amongst the best of the best officers they did a brain scan analysis and he went so far as to claim she would have risen to an operating officer in the flagship fleet she had a performance potential of 9.5 which evidently is an incredible score just trust me on this so you see what i'm getting at here ripley was a pretty kick-ass individual and was an incredible soldier crazy intelligence tactical knowledge she knew how to fight all before she ever encountered the xenomorphs or the aliens. Now, compare that to Sarah Connor. Again, love Sarah Connor. I hate doing this, but I have to. We first meet her as a waitress in Los Angeles, which also makes her a badass. Because if you ever met a waitress in Los Angeles, you know, that just comes with the territory. But she's kind of coming, you know, a little bit less to the table initially than Ripley did. And that's why Ripley is able to take on hordes of aliens. It's her resourcefulness, her training, all the things she brings to the table before she even gets put into this franchise. She's incredibly resourceful. She actually finds a way to win, not just survive. In fact, surviving is completely secondary to Ripley if it means protecting the greater good. That's insane. Even in the first movie, uh, it was Alien. She defeats the Xenomorph, right? Never met this thing before. It's taking out everyone on the crew by herself. She defeats it by figuring out how to shoot the thing out of the airlock. It catches onto the airlock. It's trying to pull itself in. She uses a grappling gun to then propel it through. It catches onto the rope, climbs into the rocket booster, and she activates the rocket booster and blows this thing into space. All figured this out within literally seconds by herself. She figured out how to defeat the Xenomorph. See, that's the real reason I see Ripley winning this battle. It's because the key difference between these two characters, 
both of them iconic. Sierra Connor is a survivor. She survived the Terminator coming after her with help. She survived the T-1000 coming after her with help. In Terminator Dark Fate, she survived the ultimate, ultimate, what was that, duo Terminator thing coming at her with a lot of help. Ridley, on their hand, is the ultimate destroyer. She took out the original Xenomorph on her own. She took out a Xenomorph Queen on her own. And she even saved the Earth from a possible Xenomorph invasion, in Alien Resurrection at least, on her own. All of that is my point number one. Now, that's very, very interesting right there, James. You're obviously leaving out her intro in uh, Terminator Dark Fate for Sarah Connor, where she took out a T-800 and a T-1000 simultaneously by herself. Didn't really need any help with that. She just had powerful weaponry. And then you brought up some interesting things there about Ripley, because she was able to defeat that alien. Why? Because she was on her own home turf. She was inside a spaceship that she knew the ins and outs of, and she knew which air ducts to crawl into, and she knew how to operate the rocket boosters when the time was near. You're going to tell me right now that... Uh, Sarah Connor knew everything about what was that a, a sheet working metal factory no she had to figure it out as it went along when it comes to improvising you have to see how Sarah Connor is very clear the better choice and the other thing I would say is and this is to your MMA knowledge James what's more dangerous somebody who's trained up to be a great fighter and then they just go about it or somebody who starts as a plucky underdog with a lot of grit heart spirit and brings a lot of that uh, chip on their shoulder a lot of that uh, anger to the table and then you train them how to fight better than anybody else that person who comes from less is going to hit you a little bit harder than the person who started at the top already. I'd say Hoist Gracie would absolutely disagree with you, but interesting point nonetheless. All right, Ben, you've heard point number one from both Ray and myself. Where's your head at so far with this battle? I mean, you guys are both making very good arguments, and you're finally taking this seriously, thank God, because, you know, <laughs> you guys are really stepping up your game from last time I was on. You're really, like, your, your debate skills have evolved because Ray made his argument. I was on board with Ray. Then you made your argument, James. I was on board with you. Then Ray rebutted, and I'm kind of back on board with Ray. So I am in a place where I'm a man without a country. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what I am. I might be in need of some kind of saving into the future, at least from my own past. I need somebody to come save me, whether it's on an alien ship or in a diner. I need somebody to come to my aid. I don't know who I'm going to request yet. I'm looking forward to it. I'm on pins and needles myself to see what I'm going to decide. I can't wait till my brain tells me what my brain's going to tell me. I love when my brain does that. All right, Ray Sicanis, we've been here before. Let's keep this party going. Hit us with your point number two. Point number two for Sarah Connor. Let's just talk a little bit about how she chooses to fight you. Because I think that's a big deal. Like Ellen Ripley, you know, she likes to play from ahead. She likes to hide, you know, in bunkheads. I really like the way Ellen Ripley carries herself. I like the accomplishments that she's had. But I feel like she's taken a few more L's than probably Sarah Connor would have if put in the same situation as Ripley. Now, let me tell you, one of the things that Sarah Connor learned is guerrilla warfare. When she doesn't want to, she isn't just going to stand in front of you and just shoot at you head to head. She's going to hit you from all other different angles. She's going to use her environment just like she used in that uh, factory when she was able to get the Terminator into, well, the Terminator T-1000 into the molten lava and into the, uh, the first one into the hydraulic press that she was able to work with and get him in there and then actually be the one to pull the switch to kill him as it was trying to choke her out, for gosh sakes. That is a bad situation to be in, and she has that grace under fire. She has that ability to sustain under pressure 
in a way that maybe Ripley doesn't quite exactly have, but the guerrilla warfare, she had to train John Connor to be the leader of the resistance against the robot revolution. This is known, which means that she herself had to train herself to be the great leader of the robot revolution, to pass it all over to John, which means that she knows how to hit you. She knows how to back up and then hit you again, hide in the shadows, back up and hit you again. She also learned in that time how to go off the grid. If she doesn't want to be found, she spent a very long time hiding away from the U.S. government, hiding away from satellites, hiding away from everything. And if you could hide away from government satellites in a one-on-one encounter, you probably know how to hide away from a single person with a single point of view. And let's just not forget, I've said it before, I'll say it again, she brought down a Terminator. And I would argue that if the argument is, which is more difficult to bring down in a situation? Is it an alien or is it a Terminator? The answer is the Terminator. Day in, day out. Again, I've said it once, I'll say it again. The alien is just trying to survive and procreate. The Terminator is trying to actively kill you with an entire amount of knowledge about you and how to kill you. (laughs) There's a huge power disparity between those two things and intent. She's able to go up against intent as opposed to knowing how animals work and using their animalistic things against them. Remember, she was prepared for the end of the world, which means that if this is any place that she's familiar with or anywhere nearby where they're fighting, she has going to have hidden weapon caches as we know she did in Terminator 2 when they were when they got her out of the mental institution and she said, great, let's go to one of many unmarked locations where I have various weapons and bombs stashed. Which means that if there's anywhere nearby that she knows about, she's going to have access to high-powered weaponry anywhere around her. And she loves big weapons at the end of the day. She's great with handguns. She's great with shotguns. She's great with her hands, her fists, her throws. But she loves machine guns. She likes big, honking, Call of Duty, modern warfare-style machine guns that will rip an enemy to shreds. She loves gigantic rocket launchers that she could put up on her shoulder, she's a great shot with them, and hit a Terminator, blowing it halfway across the, across the city with a giant rocket launcher, and what's going to stop her again from doing that to Ripley if she perceives Ripley as a threat? Maybe she thinks Ripley is a Terminator and is willing to go there right away. The big thing about the way Sarah Connor fights and what I love her for is she decides right away if she's the predator or if she's the prey. If she is the predator, if she has the advantage, she immediately pushes it hyper aggressively and she will stand in the middle of the room and she will gun you down knowing there's nothing you can do about it. If she thinks that she's at the disadvantage or she's the prey, she's going to use that guerrilla warfare I talked about earlier and let you chase her through an environment you're not comfortable with or don't know about. She's going to let that person chase her and then she's going to counterattack and she's going to hit around corners and she's going to shoot. She's going to blind fire. She's going to have traps. She's going to do all this other stuff. And that's what sets Sarah Connor apart. And that's my point. Number two. All right, Ray, listen, first of all, uh, I agree with you. Sarah Connor's taste in weaponry is just fantastic. I mean, she's a connoisseur, just, you know, absolutely knows what she's doing. No doubt whatsoever. I agree with you on that one, but let me kind of clarify some stuff. You said in Terminator 2, she destroyed the T-1000 it was actually the Arnold Schwarzenegger T-800 who shot the T-1000, kind of blew him apart, put him off balance, which caused him then to fall into that molten metal, which then absolutely destroyed him. She was there. She helped. She but was, it was heavily really... involved with the battle, much in the same way you bring up characters from the Justice League defeating Darkseid, and you find out they're one of 17 Justice League members who did it together, and you leave that out. James, I'm just trying to play like you right now. 
Interesting, because with, you know, uh, Ripley and how she's taking out the Xenomorphs, she's doing it on her own, just like a Xenomorph queen, which leads me to this. You know, this was, you know, for, by the way, going off grid in 1995, which is when Terminator 2 was supposedly taking place in that future time in 1995, wasn't that hard to do. It's kind of pre-internet or beginning internet, not a lot of stuff going on, not that big of a feat. James, I've seen that documentary, Sandra Bullock in The Net, and I've seen how that type of surveillance can ruin your life. Are you under surveillance now? Did you do something? I mean, clearly. I always turn to Dennis That's Miller fair. for help when I'm being uh, attacked by people tracking me. So that is something Sandra Bullock and I have in common. There you go. See? <laughs> okay. You know, taking out a Terminator, I would actually agree with you. Taking out a Terminator is harder than taking out a regular alien like Xenomorph. But I disagree in that taking out an alien queen, you know, that Xenomorph, that big head about the size of a Tyrannosaurus, that's way harder to do than taking out a uh, Terminator. And let's see. So you're saying, Ray, she has access to weapons caches, caches or whatever you want to call them, in this battle. I'm saying it's on the the table depending on where it is. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, let me get to my point number two. Let's actually talk about the weapons. Because, again, Sarah Connor's arsenal is insanely impressive. I love it, especially for present-day standards. However, compared to what Ripley brings to the table, Sarah Connor's arsenal kind of falls very, very short. In the future, which is where this all takes place for Ripley, all of her misadventures, she's used many different types of firearms and militaristic weapons. By the way, her weapon of choice is that space-age automatic rifle. More on that later. She also carries what she calls the U-1 grenade launcher, which features a four-round internal magazine of very powerful grenades. Or this thing could be placed on the ground and fired in a skyward arc, basically turning it into a mortar type of thing. Uh, And each of these grenades are way more powerful than modern-day grenades because, you know, hashtag the future. Uh, She's got the M240 incinerator unit flamethrower. This is fun. Great toy for the kids. It uses what the future of Ripley's universe calls an ultra-thickened naphthal fuel as a base, because I like using words. So what she does, she uses the nozzle, turns it on, pulls the trigger, and is capable of shooting a stream of flame up to 30 meters. That's 90 feet. And this range can be extended by firing the flame upwards at an angle, causing the stream to arc down onto a target. Uh, Pretty nasty. Crazy, crazy stuff. Horrible joke. I'd love to insert right there. I just can't. Uh, Fun fact, the flamethrower can create a fireball cloud by firing a stream of liquid fuel at the target. This fuel partially vaporizes, and another small shot from the nozzle burner switched back on ignites this vapor cloud to create an intense fireball fireball the size of a cloud. Absolutely crazy. It's another fun fact. The flame burst from the same weapon can be bounced off of walls or other solid objects to attack enemies who are out of the line of sight or in case they're hiding or took up a position or something. So shooting around angles, all that kind of stuff, she knows how to do it with these weapons. And there's one of uh, everybody's favorite sci-fi weapons. It's actually called the M41A Pulse Rifle. Now, unlike Sarah Connor's firearms, this firearm uses an electronic pulse action, and this pulse is what shoots the bullets. Right, it, the pulse activates the bullets, and then they fire. It's not that whole you know hammer has to hit down, explosion happens, bullet goes out. So the recoil is much less. This thing's way more accurate, and on top of all that, it can actually hold up to ninety rounds in this U-bend conveyor giving kind of magazine. And this gives a uh, you know uh, Ripley the ability to fire longer, more accurately, just not have to reload. This is absolute crazy fun stuff. Here's something cute: each round of ammunition, ammunition is a steel jacketed, explosive tipped round. So you don't just have 90 bullets coming at you at high speed that are more accurate with less recoil. They're also exploding tip rounds. 
lots and lots of fun at parties. And if all that doesn't work, because Ray, you're saying she's got access to all her weapons, let's kind of keep going that. She can always, Ripley can always bust out, what was that? That exoskeleton mech looking, it's, I think it was called the Caterpillar P5000, you know, workloader, that big, huge yellow thing that she walked around. It's got pincer claw hands, a flexible but hard, tough metal frame, can hold and manipulate up to five tons of weight. You know, that yellow construction mech she used to take on the Xenomorph Queen? Yeah, let's give her that too. Look, if you were to keep everything else equal, which it isn't, by the way, Ripley has way better weapons that can be used in much more versatile ways that can hit Sarah Connor when she's hiding or taking cover and that have been developed with another 200 years worth of experience. Who knows? Humanity's experience with the Predators, because there's that alien-predator crossover, and other Terminators may have been part of the development process of all the cool weapons Ripley now has access to. That's my point number two. Okay, wait, hold on. Uh, James, you're making some phenomenal points in there. Do you see what James is doing, though, Ben? I mentioned that uh, that Sarah Connor has these uh, weapons caches, these high-powered weapons, and James like, oh, I don't know if she'd have those. But let me tell you about every weapon in the history of the Aliens franchise that Ripley has ever used, and I assure you she would have access to all of them. Obviously, that is not actually the case. She has weapons because she was on a ship that had weapons. Put her in a neutral location. She might not necessarily have those weapons. And also, of course, James says, oh, and Ripley, of course, she always works alone. Who could forget the fact that the second movie, Aliens, featured zero colonial marines in it? Oh, wait, the whole movie was about the Colonial Marines with Ripley tagging along with them. So what are you talking about? She doesn't fight with other characters. The entire second movie is her fighting with a whole bunch of other characters. And the big thing here, the workloader. I love that exoskeleton construction machine thing that she's in. That is an excellent, excellent device for fighting against an alien queen. It is a terrible device for fighting against somebody with a loaded handgun with maneuverability who's a great shot because Ripley's entire chest and face area was exposed when she was in there and her mobility inside that machine is terrible. All Linda Hamilton, excuse me, Sarah Connor has to do is just do one of those roll moves up close, pop three quick shots, and this battle is over. So James, I want Ripley in the exo machine. Put that on the board. You know, it's funny, in, in Aliens, yeah, that's true. When she went to go save Newt, that little kid she kind of adopted, she did that by herself, brought her out, had the Xenomorph Queen come after her, and then she took it on and kind of dispatched it by herself, the Xenomorph Queen. That is very interesting. You mean by the, the, same way, way, the same I, way that Kyle Reese died in the first movie and she had to fight the Terminator by herself? No, completely different. Uh, and also, totally I kind different. of agree with you. The 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 mainframe or the the exo frame. I just liked it. I just thought it was cool. I just had you it can't cool. you can't talk about Ripley without bringing that up. That's just a thing undeniably cool. It's like it's like Detroit pizza. You know, you can't talk about Detroit pizza without talking about. I have no Something idea. Awesome. All right, it's totally awesome. <laughs> All right, we are at the turning point where after hearing two points from Ray and myself, Ben tells us who is ahead and what the other side has to do, but. Before we get to what Ben has to say, let's celebrate the Hoodwin Patron of the Week. Every week we choose one of our amazing members of the Hoodwin Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today's celebrated patron of the Patreon variety is our good friend Nathan Fair. Nathan Fair, known for his brutal Ooh. tactics and cunning strategies, is back in the hot seat on the Who Would Win Show. All right, for Nathan Fair, this is it's hard to come up with a great opponent. Oh, I did. Let's go with Master Chief. Master Chief. Now, of course, Nathan Fair, his nickname, of course, is Un, 
because any battle against Nathan is unfair at the end of the day. Master Chief, he's got Cortana. He's got those great Halo weapons. He's got the vehicles. He's got the spaceships. He's got all of the above. But Nathan plays dirty. He plays a little bit unfair. So Master Chief is going to drop from orbit, a thing he can do, unlike Cyclops, and he will drop all the way down to the surface of the planet, and he's going to be ready to go. He's going to be like, Cortana, where is he? And Nathan Ferris is going to say, I don't know. Cortana's going to say, I don't know. And then Nathan Fair is going to appear right behind Master Chief. He was able to get through all the sensors with one of those EMP jamming devices. He's going to get right in behind Master Chief with a big old piece of rebar, and he's going to jam it through the back of his neck, through the exosuit, through the Space Marine outfit, through his throat, killing Master Chief. Sorry, kids. Immediately. Why? Because he fought dirty. Master Chief never had a chance. That is one of the most horrific sounding battles I've ever heard you describe. Yep. That is also absolutely accurate. I can accurate. absolutely see that happening. Yeah. Very accurate. Congratulations, Nathan. Now, remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash who would win show and sign up, and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of Who Would Win. Now, Ben, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead, and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? Also, shout out to your patron, Nathan. That's my middle name and my father's name. It's a great name, and I believe he'd win in most battles. I just wanted to make that very clear. It's true. <laughs> and that's not said to encourage him to watch my special, because I'm calling him out by name. That's just said generally. Even if he doesn't want to watch the Mad King special available now on YouTube, I still respect him and his name very much. But Nathan, at the end of the day, you're going to watch the Mad King special starring Ben Glebe. Nathan Fair, it's only fair. It is only fair. Please, live up to your name. It's only fair. And you wouldn't be Nathan yeah. if he didn't do it. Correct. That's yeah. true. That's true. Um, I got to tell you guys, you know, I like to keep it real. I like to tell it like it is. But right now you're tied. And I'll tell you why you're tied. Ooh. Because you're both making excellent arguments, but largely for different environments. And I'm yet to see where – I'm yet to see points as to who would do better face-to-face. -face. You're making great arguments for who's strong in their own environments. I think right now the lead – goes to Ripley for contained familiar environments, and the lead goes to Sarah Connor for guerrilla warfare, unknown environments out in the world. You know, yeah, it's great if you have access to your ship weapons if the fight's on a ship. It's great you have access to your weapons caches if you're, or caches, whichever way you want to say it. If you are out in the suburbs, it doesn't really matter. It depends face-to-face. -face. What are we going to do? What are we going to see? Um... I am really at a loss right now, you know. I I am a confused man. I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> and I'm hoping that this third round gives me a lot of clarity both for this in particular this battle in particular and for my own life and, and my own peace of mind. That's fair. You know, a lot of truth said right there, especially, you know, using stuff in the suburbs. Like the last time I used uh my exoskeleton suit in the suburbs was fantastic. No one knew what to do. A lot of confusion and delay. Really sticks out like a sore thumb. All of a sudden, everybody's trying to keep up with the Joneses. How do I get an exoskeleton? Right. Can I put rims on it? Right. Can I dress it up for the Met Gala? There's a lot of questions that come up. Facts. And we don't have time to answer them because that's really not even germane to what we're talking about. I know. About. I got a Tesla exoskeleton. What if you, you know, it just gets crazier and crazier. All right. Race to Canis. I may have a slight edge, but even I know that that doesn't make me safe in this battle. Go ahead. Let's see if you can hit that KO with your point number three. Well, I think Ben already said it right there. You know, Ripley is a master of her in-space, in-ship environments, and 
Sarah Connor's better at improvisation. She's better at unknown environments. And since this battle takes place in an unknown neutral playing field location, obviously Sarah Connor is going to have a major advantage of this battle because she's the better at improvising in an unknown territory, which is where we are positing we are dropping both of these characters. And another thing, Sarah Connor in her movies never died to a Terminator. Near as I can tell, she she survived the first one, survived the second one. Terminators died in both of them. She did die eventually of leukemia, but you can't say the same for Ripley, now can you, James? Did an alien eventually kill Ripley? Well, it was going to before she threw herself in, what was that, a vat of boiling lava? Because she knew the alien was going to kill her. So at the end of the day, the aliens beat Ripley. The Terminators never really beat Sarah Connor, and that should be factored into this as well. But let's talk a little bit about her toughness, because we've seen a Terminator get right in front of Sarah Connor and bust her, just knock her straight through. And she flew through the air several, several tens of feet, hitting the ground very hard. And this was as an old lady in one of the later movies. She was able to get up and keep fighting after that happened. Let me tell you, when a Terminator trucks you, I don't care how big, strong, and young you are. It's hard to get up afterwards, but she got up at an advanced age. She's known all throughout cinema as one of the biggest badasses ever to be portrayed on film. Ripley is in that category as well, but if you ask anybody off the street, Sarah Connor's number one, and Ripley's far down the list after like Conan and a whole bunch of other stuff, just saying. Again, Sarah survived a one-on-one encounter with the Terminator several times. Several, several times she was face-to-face with a killing machine who was programmed to murder her, and she got away with it. At one point in uh, one of the later Terminator movies, I believe Dark Fate, They had the Terminator, they put him in like a turbine, and the entire thing exploded about 10 feet away from Sarah Connor. Again, an older version of the character. She got blown out, flown across the room, massive explosion right in front of her face, and she was able to survive and keep on going. She also portrays a certain toughness because she herself becomes a killing machine. She herself becomes almost a Terminator in her own regard in the second movie. Remember, she was going to go kill that guy in his home, Uh, before she decided that was not quite the right way to go. She got torn up by a Terminator, the T-1000, cut by one, and the T-800 sewed up her wound while she barely made a grimace. She, it obviously was hurting her, but she had that toughness. She, was, she wasn't crying out. She wasn't in pain. We've seen Ripley in pain, and she doesn't handle it nearly as well as Sarah Connor. And not just that, to what I think works to my advantage as well in a neutral environment, let's talk about the mental hospital. She was locked up. She has tried to escape many, many times and always got physically stopped, put back in her cell. She ended up stabbing doctors. She's whacking people with broom handles. The only way they were able to keep Sarah Connor from repeatedly trying to escape, showing that inner toughness, was literal sedation. They had to make her unconscious chemically in order to get her to stop coming. I think Ripley would stop coming well before Sarah Connor would stop coming, if that makes a lot of sense. I think Sarah Connor's the one who's going to take the fight even further than Ripley possibly would at all. Because at the end of the day, Sarah Connor has maternal willpower. We heard about that mom strength all the time. When the mom needs to, she lifts up the car because the kid's in the car. She's got to pull her kid out. Well, that's what Sarah Connor's bringing to the table for her son, John. She needs to teach him to be the hero of the resistance. She knows all of humanities is weighing on her shoulders. And she, while it makes her a little bit nuts, she's able to take that burden and turn something positive out of it. She has that inner strength that gets her through every single one of these encounters safely, unlike Ripley. 
because she has that maternal will mom strength when it needs to be done. This should have been a Mother's Day episode. And that's my point number three. <laughs> that would have been great as a Mother's Day episode, by the way. Uh, again, I got to tell you, I'm not disagreeing that she doesn't have mom strength, which is, by the way, possibly quite the greatest form of strength of all. But Ripley also has mom strength. Again, in Aliens, by herself, went into an infested alien you know, area of this you know, complex she was not familiar with and found her kind of newly adopted daughter, Newt, because remember in that same movie, her daughter, she found out her daughter died of old age. She never got to see her. And then rescued her and then took out a xenomorph to save her. That's some pretty insane mom strength as well. All right, let me talk to a lot of this. Um, most of the time, Ripley's not familiar with her environment. Outside of the first movie, Alien, where she was familiar with the rocket ship, every other time, she's kind of in a weird spot, a space where she doesn't know that well. She's always a stranger in these worlds. On top of that, she survived against Terminators. That's cool. Ripley takes out aliens and alien queens, those big Tyrannosaurus types of aliens. There's a difference between, Ray, you said before, surviving against, fighting against, and taking out. Ripley takes out these things. Sarah Connor does a great job. She usually just survives it, though. Uh, let's see. Barely made a grimace and a mental... Okay, I love that. Great. Anytime you can add the word grimace to anything, you got to do it. Sarah Connor survived a mental hospital, a really crazy, demented one, albeit, but at the same time, Ripley survived an alien-infested planet. You got to kind of see those aren't apples to apples right there. That I'd, I'd, I'd rather be in a mental hospital trying to get out versus an alien-infested planet. Uh, oh, James, look, it's coming. All of this worry. is great stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm already there. All right, so let me get to my point number three. And, you know, this is something I had a point number three. But, Ray, you're kind of bouncing all over the place with your Sarah Connors. You're talking about the first two movies and then Dark Fate, which isn't really part of the continuity because she died after of leukemia, unfortunately, in Terminator 2. And somehow that just got wrecked. So I'm not sure what version you're using here of Sarah Connor other than Linda you're Hamilton. using all versions of Sarah Connor. That's fine. You're just saying whatever happens in a movie for Sarah Connor, you're going to use that storyline. I agree with you. Great tactic. Way to go. So let's talk about something similar for Ripley. I call this the race to Canis Jason X effect. So Ben, in case you didn't know, a few years ago, I think it was in season one, we had a battle between the Crow and Jason Voorhees. And Ray brought in the ultimate form of Jason, my favorite form of, of Jason, a form that was part Jason and a much bigger part of advanced tech nanites. Don't worry about the story. And uh, so Jason became Jason X. Mostly nanites, cyborg, cybernetic being with some, a little bit of, you know, the, the Jason mentality and what have you. The judge allowed it, and I think it was a good call. I still won the match, by the way. But I'm going to pull this race to Canis Jason X right now because in this point, I'm using all of Ripley's experiences, memories, technical know-how, kick-assery, and giving it an upgrade. I'm, of course, talking about Ripley a.k.a. Ripley 8 from Alien Resurrection. Yeah, I'm going there. So in Alien Resurrection, a film that gets way less notoriety than it deserves, Ripley is cloned from the previous film, except not really. It seems the memories, the intelligence, the experiences are in Ripley, along with some alien or xenomorph DNA. That's right, Ripley 8 has all of Ripley mentality and everything going on with her, and she's got low-level superpowers. This is awesome. She's got low-level super strength, Kind of on the same level as Captain America. She can throw a human, pick him up, and throw him a good distance. She's strong enough to dent and kick down large metal doors when she hits them. She's got superhuman durability. She can take a barbell with plates on it, smash into her face as if it were nothing. She's got superhuman speed and reflexes. She's got superhuman agility. She, we see her jump crazy long in human distances. 
She's got crazy stamina where she can fight at peak form for hours. She's also got a healing factor. At the beginning of that movie, she gets a tooth knocked out, and then halfway through, the tooth has already regrown back in. That's awesome. She's got inhumanly high pain tolerance. And finally, my favorite part, her blood is acidic, just like the alien's blood is acidic. Now, her blood is not to the same level, but if she flings it at you, whatever, it does burn through metal. It does burn through windows, burns through materials. It burns people. That's kind of a fun thing. And she's got some fun weapons as well. Remember, Ripley 8 is 250 years in the future from us right now. So things have advanced. So she has what's called the Lacrima 99 shock rifle. It's the same kind of thing she used before, except way more ammo, way better tech. She's way more accurate with it. And it's also got a really cool what's called a halogen uh, module to it, which shoots out a pulse of electricity that can take out one um, a xenomorph. It can take out a face hugger. It can kill a human. It can kill a large animal, evidently. That's what she's got on that walking around. There's a, this is a really fun thing. So here's how I see this battle going. So the two are going to face off eventually. Using keen instincts that have served both of them well, they're going to take up positions and start firing strategically, trying to figure out what's really happening. Ripley sees the devastating firepower that Sarah Connor has and quickly realizes its limitations compared to her own. Because as good as the ammo she's got and the weapons she's got, she's about 250 years behind right now. So Sarah Connor takes cover, gets what she thinks is a tactical advantage, because of course she does. Ripley takes cover, uses her grenade launcher as a mortar, and fires an arc on Sarah Connor's position. Sarah Connor gets out of the way. They start shooting back and forth. Ripley, using her experience with aliens and xenomorphs, knowing they can attack from any position, above her, below her, from the side, whatever it is, she's like, got it. I'm going to use that, and I'm going to kind of force a maneuver on Sarah Connor. She shoots in one direction, gets Sarah Connor to kind of move away, shoots another, and pretends to leave an opening because that's what she does with her strategy. Remember, she is trained for this. Sarah Connor comes in. She thinks she's going for the kill, and all of a sudden she's like, what's that smell? It smells like vaporized gasoline. That's when Ripley turns around, boom, pulls the trigger, firebomb cloud which i just described takes her out or she shoots her or she gets something else going on remember ripley knows how to take out xenomorphs sarah connor as devastating she is is not going to be that much harder than a xenomorph and not as hard as a xenomorph queen look that's just one possible way ripley wins this fight ripley has just too many ways to win she's got the advanced weaponry she's got a track record of actually beating her opponents as opposed to surviving them and then being on the winning team thanks to someone's someone else's help and that's before she gets this fun upgrade as Ripley 8, where now she has kind of weird low-level Captain America superpowers. That's why Sarah Connor loses. That's why Ripley wins. That's my point number three. Boy, James, you're bringing up a whole lot of firepower right here in point number three, and that's great. What was the name of that character? Ripley 8. Oh, so not Ripley. Ripley 8, of course, being a different character than the one you're actually here to discuss today. How dare you, James? You're trying to bring in uh, different characters with similar names. Uh, that's a little bit outrageous. Why are you going to bring in Ripley's Believe It or Not while we're going next? This sure. is an absolute outrage. Look, I, I look, I'm a different person now than I was then. And besides that, that guy <laughs> lost the battle. So who knows? My point I'm trying to make right here is... I missed the part when you say that Sarah Connor's weapons don't add up. I missed the part where a shotgun doesn't blow a human apart. I missed the part. I've seen that movie Prey that just came out. And the Predator, you know, was hurt really badly by what? Spears. Because sharp things, weapons, guns, work, James Gapsey. I don't care if you have high-tech stuff that you might not even have in a neutral location provided for you. Simple weapons kill simply. And if Ripley even presents herself as being anything more than human, that makes one, Sarah Connor, way more eager to kill her. 
And two, Sarah Connor would set herself up as the prey, allow Ripley to start coming after her through an unstable, uh, bad environment. Ripley, even the eight version, at some point is going into the tank of lava because she's done it to a Terminator and Ripley's done it to herself. We both know where we're going when we fight Sarah Connor or Ripley going in the vat of molten steel or lava and taking her out because at the end of the day, that's what happens. And really quick thing, you talk about all the aliens that she killed all at the same time. Aliens are the same as ninjas in that it's called inverse ninja theory. If you fight one alien, like the first alien movie, that's going to be a really powerful alien. When you fight 50 aliens at the same time, they get infinitely weaker as a group, allowing you to tear through them like the Colonial Marines did. At the end of the day, Sarah Connor has the grit, toughness, determination. She's seen the future, James, and she knows that Ripley's not a part of it. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I'm loving this battle, by the way. All right, Ben, look, it's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us a story, if you will. And finally... The only way that Ben can do, please reveal who you think wins this battle between Ripley and Sarah Connor. This was a great debate. I got to hand it to both of you. You both came very well prepared, very well researched. You both took down each other's arguments in very good point-by-point fashion. That really left me feeling like a ping-pong ball, or better analogy yet, probably a pinball You've got me on full tilt. I'm being smacked by your paddles all the way up, and these bumpers are just smacking me all the way to town, and no one's collecting any coins. I'm just getting a massive headache, and the good kind, a kind that hurts in a deep-down place I don't talk about at parties. You need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. I think you understand what I'm saying. This is tough. This is tough. i got to be honest. The lead was with Ray and Sarah Connor going into point three. I mean, I know it was tied before round three, but after his argument at the beginning of point three, I meant to say the lead was with him. Then, James, you you made your closing argument, and you started to really convince me. And then I learned about the great Lance Armstrong-esque blood transfusion in the hotel room mid-Tour de France. Sneaky move of putting Ripley 8 in there instead of Ripley herself. And that really shook me to my core and to my core and left me not knowing who to believe or what to trust. But I think it was clarified there, and I think... Ray, by taking the move of taking the blame for having used Jason X in the past, really did take the steam out of your Ripley 8 arguments. And he's got nothing to lose there because it's a past episode he already lost. Now, they're still, I feel as though they're both very talented fighters, no doubt. You both made cases they are very talented fighters. They are survivalists. They are killers. They are strong. But there was also a lot of talk of the demise of Ripley by throwing herself into a huge vat and kind of giving up last second. And speaking as a man who is a cartoon character named News Group from Jay and Silent Bob's super groovy cartoon movie who was trying to send Blunt Man and Chronic to their deaths into a giant vat of hot oil and instead got knocked in myself, which lodged, of course, as you all know, permanently an iPad-type device into my chest for the rest of my life and led to my ultimate demise. I know that messing with vats in general, dangerous, risky, not recommended, especially not for children, unless those children are taller than the vat and also covered in some sort of a exoskeleton themselves, and that's rarely the case with children these days because they don't make them like they used to. And so that's part of the issue there as well. And I feel as though since it's really hard to know until you see a battle face-to-face, you got to kind of go track record. And the fact that 
Sarah Connor is able to adapt, I think, to more environments and had all of humanity on her shoulders and only died of leukemia, which last I heard leukemia is not caused by Terminators. Although maybe being that close to that much metal for that long could cause all kinds of cancers. It's yet to be proven. But throwing in the towel yourself and going VAT style, putting the putting the ultimate VAT tax on yourself, you know what I mean? Really, um, I think, does not bode well for her in a battle to the death. And so I have to give it to Ray and Sarah Connor as who would win in that battle. Oh, ben, I'm going to watch your special 100 times, and I'm going to enjoy it 100 times. But I, I'm not going to lie, this stings. This stings a little bit. But I know, uh, luckily I have uh, I'm sorry. YouTube I'd... special to make me feel better. So Thank that's okay. you. I'm sorry. I don't mean to let you down. This is not personal. You guys both made great arguments. I'm just saying from an objective standpoint, I think you might have had the, argue, the harder side to argue. And I just think Sarah Connor, I mean, look, we're all here today because humanity has survived. You know, I, I asked myself a weird question. Why does Ray dress like that every day? And then I asked myself another question, which was, how would Sarah Connor do in the Alien franchise, right? If we just put her in that same position. And I got to tell you, I think she would kick an equal amount of ass as Ripley. But if we put Ripley into the Terminator franchise, I don't know she'd do as well. That's the weird thing. So I can't, I can't be mad at your decision because you're just, you're just so likable. By the way, uh, by the <laughs> way, you have a great you. YouTube special out. But Thank you, uh, so you know, there, there's King some logic there. I'm going to disagree with a few things you said, but overall, I can live with this decision not well. But luckily, I have a YouTube special I can watch that'll that'll make me feel better. Ray so Cicadas, how do you feel with this decision? Oh, sorry, James. I literally just started watching Ben Glebe, the Mad King, full special on YouTube the second that he announced this decision. <laughs> So I was, I was not listening to anything you said. I was too busy uh, laughing uproariously uh, just at the intro, just at the animated intro at the front of it. I'll, I'll watch the rest of it, of course, probably the second that this uh, battle is over. I feel great about this, James. I feel like I got a little bit of redemption for the Jason X debacle against the Crow from season one of this show, Shocktober, <laughs> when I did attempt to bring Jason X onto the table and lost that battle, despite nanites. Nanites. I, I think nanites yeah. should beat anything. My point I'm trying to make oh, is like that's redemption. This is showdown September, and I am now two and zero oh in a best of five. James, you're in trouble. Not just in September, but in this season. I might win this season by eleven matches. I mean, this is what you said last season too, and how that turned out. Race to can't. You know what? Look, here's the deal, Ray. I wanted to say this at the beginning of the show. You know, you and I look at these matches differently. Look, I want to win. I think I want to win just as much as you do, probably more. But at the end of the day, I want this to be a sport. I want a great match. I want a great judge like Ben Glebe to come in and kind of bring his wisdom upon us and tell us about the Mad King, his great YouTube special. And that's what we got. We entertained the fans. Sure, you got the win, but then you got to look at yourself tomorrow morning that's it, really. That's the punishment. And I get to have my amazing <laughs> life continue. Things are good for me. That's all I got to say. Ben, listen, you're an awesome judge. I love how seriously you take this. I love how you interject your comedy. Everyone should watch The Mad King, your YouTube special. With that being said, tell our audience, the Legion, our fan base, the Legion of Audience, where they can find you, where they can find all great things related to Ben. Thank you very much for having me. Really fun to do it again. Um, you can watch The Mad King on YouTube. Please, if you like it, please share it and leave positive comments. 
and uh, thumbs up it so the algorithm feeds it everywhere. I also do, I'm now a, a host and contributor for TYT's Rebel HQ, Rebel Headquarters, and if you want to um, support that, if you like the way my logic works, if you like the way that my brain breaks down an issue, I'm doing it three days a week, three videos a week on the issues of the day, the things that are captivating all of us, all of our minds, and so please check that out. Link to find my playlist of those are in my bio on TikTok. Twitter, and Instagram, at Ben Glebe, G-L-E-I-B, Ben Glebe. You can just click that link in bio. The link is there as well to watch my special. The Rebel HQ series has over 6 million views just in our first three months of me doing this. So it's going well. I think you'll enjoy it. And my podcast, Last Week on Earth, where I summarize the world every week that I do an episode, which is not every week, but it's as often as I can. It's a good way to get perspective on news, politics, science, pop culture, technology, trends, all the things. You don't have to watch the rest of the news or the rest of any of those things. I cover it all, all that matters at least. I will personally be battling tonight both Sarah Connor and Ripley myself in my dreams. And we'll, I will go, I'll get back to you and let you know who won, but I've got a pretty good feeling it'll be enjoyable regardless. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Okay, Ray, so congratulations on another win. This was fun. Again, you know, I got the loss, but I had so much fun doing this. I don't feel like, uh, you know, I lost anything. I feel like I gained a lot. So, Ray, tell our listeners where they can find you online. Sorry, James. Uh, I wasn't listening to anything you just said. I was too busy giving the Mad King, Ben Glebe's full special on YouTube, a like, a positive comment, and then I liked my own positive comment to feed that algorithm even heavier. The things you gotta do when you get a great judge like Ben Glebe on the show. Look, I had a question about this. Will he pass the idiot test of Sarah Connor versus Ripley? And the answer is yes. You have won the show, won the prize. You get my full endorsement for your special, which you would have gotten anyway, but you get it a little extra from the heart as a direct result of this special. Obviously, this is the kind of battle, Showdown September, that the audience, the people, the Rainiacs, the awkward allies, heck, 58% of the legion of audience out there know that I won. And they're excited about the fact that Ray is back, that Ray's piling up win after win after win in the biggest matchups of the entire season. When it comes down to it, I'm the force that can't be stopped. I am the killing machine from the future, here to dash the dreams of one James Gavsey. You can find me on Twitter, at Almighty Ray. Check out Reclaimed Detroit, a Vampire the Masquerade audio drama that I wrote, produced, and am a cast member of original music, Vampires. Sexy vampires. I don't know. I'm sure they're sexy. But it's a five-part audio drama series. You can find wherever you podcast, Reclaim Detroit, or go to VampireDetroit.com or Vampire Detroit on Twitter, at Vampire Detroit. Find me, you night creatures. I mean... Anything sexy if you want it to be sexy, right? I mean, it's kind of like anything's food if you're hungry enough. If I'm not, I'm just saying Ray's got a weird browsing history. All right. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gadsy. Remember, when you leave a comment to listen to what Ben Glebe said about his amazing YouTube special, The Mad King, leave a comment that says why you love the show, why you love this special so much, and why other people should watch it and how much, how much fun you had watching it. That's what YouTube likes to, likes to see as far as I know. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with typing in at James Gadsy. Remember to join the official Hoodwin Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and to be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok 
at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Cicadas, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Kevin Goatee. Hey, I'm Kevin Israel. We host Gutting the Sacred Cow, the best and most unique movie debate podcast out there. Why? Because we invite our guests to pick a film that they find overrated or hate and try to convince us to see their argument. They must pick a film that is a financial success, widely beloved, or critically acclaimed. That's right. Some of the films our guests have tried to eviscerate, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pulp Fiction, Ghostbusters? You can find us on all podcast platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. And if you want to watch our smiling faces, we're also on YouTube. GuttingTheSacredCow.com is where you find all of our information. And we look forward to our guests infuriating you when they attack your favorite films. Hey, gang. I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to Patreon.com slash Show right now. Okay, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins.